Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, this is Carla Unseth with Building a Bridge to God's Word. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are going to look at another key term in translation. So we looked at glory and then at grace. And then last time we compared righteousness and justice. And today I'd like to look at the word atonement. Now, the reason I wanted to look at atonement is that it also has been a word that's really tough for our team to translate. And I'll get into the reasons why as we go. But it also has a really interesting English origin, and I wanted to talk about that as well. So what's interesting is that the English meaning is actually significantly different from the Hebrew meaning, and the word atonement doesn't actually appear in the New Testament. But of course, atonement is a huge part of our understanding of Christ's death and resurrection. So how do all those things fit together? So that's what I'd like to talk about today. Let's dive right in and find out. So first, I have to admit that I heard a sermon once about atonement where the pastor said that atonement or atone comes from the English words at one. And that's what it means, that we are at one with God. And I have to admit that when I heard the sermon, I rolled my eyes a little bit because I thought, Okay, you can't just see the two words at one and decide that that's what the word means (laughs) or that's what it comes from. But actually, when I started doing research for this podcast, I realized that that is the etymology of this word. That is what it comes from. It comes from the Middle English and from the words at one put together. So even Bible translators have things that they can learn. And I should probably work on being less skeptical. Um, But since we have an English word here, I mean, this is thoroughly English, at one. And it was something that was used often in Middle English to refer to something like being put back into a right relationship, not just in a theological way, but in other ways in life too. So how did this word get in the Bible? How can we use it in the Bible if it's, it's English origin? And how did it come to refer to this very important theological concept? So in order to get to that, we need to go back first to look at the meaning of the Hebrew word. So the Hebrew word that we have translated by atonement is the word kafar. And this word actually means to cover. So for example, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, Noah kafars the ark with pitch. So it literally means he covered. He took pitch and he covered the ark with it so that it would be waterproof. So that's literally what this word means. And it was applied to sin in the Old Testament in the sense that sacrifices cover sin. So the question is, Does that mean it's like a cover up, like hiding sin underneath a cover, you know, sweep it under the rug type cover? Are we ignoring sin, putting a pretty veneer over it? It's not actually that type of the meaning of the word cover. It's more like covering the cost. Or uh, I saw a definition that said removing an offense by making an equivalent payment. So that's what covering the cost is, right? And we do use the word cover that way 
in English too. For example, you might say you're covering someone else's bill at a restaurant. You say, I've got it covered. And we don't necessarily use it in a justice sense, like covering somebody's sin, but we do get that idea. It's an equivalent payment for sin. So as the Old Testament went on, the Israelite sacrificial system became more set. It became more ritualized, I guess you could say. And as that happened, the word changed a tiny bit in meaning. And it started to change from the act of covering sin to the result of covering sin. So in other words, it started to focus on reconciliation with God. When our sin was covered, when that equivalent payment was made for our sin, we could be back in right relationship with God. So we could be at one with God. Okay, so you can probably see where this is going. So we have this change of meaning, and really the best evidence that we have for this change of meaning is in the Septuagint. So in case you don't remember, the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So as the primary language of the Jewish people changed from Hebrew to Greek, a translation was needed so that Greek-speaking Jews could read their scriptures. And so at one point, we had 70 scholars who worked together to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. So we, nowadays, we get to see how those Jewish translators understood the theology of the Old Testament. So when they translated the word kafar, they used a Greek word, which is exilaskomai. And exilaskomai does not mean to cover. It means to appease or to reconcile. So you can see that by the time of the Septuagint, the word kafar had moved away from meaning to cover, so moved away from the act of covering sin to the result of covering sin, which was being reconciled with God. So what's interesting is that when we move to the New Testament, we don't actually see the word exilaskomai either. Okay, so why is that? And if you have, so if you have a literal Bible translation, you could look up the word atonement, something like the ESV or the KJV, and you actually won't see the word atonement in the New Testament. So the only good explanation that I could find was an explanation by John Piper. And he says that if we look at the work on the cross and the New Testament writers and how they felt about that work on the cross, it far outstripped their furthest notions of anything that atonement could accomplish or what our Old Testament ancestors could have even hoped for. It was so much greater and so much better than anything that they understood. So when the New Testament writers wrote, they wanted to express all of this fullness. And so they used a much bigger and richer vocabulary. They wanted to go beyond the simple word cover of the Old Testament, or even the word exilaskomai, and they wanted to just use such a broader vocabulary. So there's words for propitiation, which means to win the favor of a deity by doing something pleasing. There's words for expiation, which means to appease a deity by a sacrifice. Uh, There's the word ransom, redemption, reconciliation, salvation, justification, purification, and so many more words in the New Testament that we use to describe this idea of us being made one with God. So atonement in itself, that 
at one is a theological doctrine. It, it has grown out of all of these different words to, to become a doctrine to explain what happened when Jesus Christ died and rose again. And so it's more than just the translated word, but it contains all of these ideas. And of course, some of the words that I've just said are in the Old Testament as well. They have Hebrew equivalents in the Old Testament. But what I like about what John Piper is saying is that the New Testament authors didn't fall back on the word atonement because there was just this much richer vocabulary and they really wanted to communicate the fullness of what God has done. Okay, so now that we have looked at the Hebrew and we've looked at the Greek and how that came into English, let's think about translation and how we translate this word. I think the big question in translation is, which concept do we translate? Should we translate using a word cover, like in the original Hebrew, or should we translate using a word that means like reconcile or restore that relationship? that we see in the Septuagint, so the actual Jewish interpretation of their original Hebrew scriptures. And I have said this a little bit already, but I, I do want to just note, like, what is the difference between the two? The difference is the focus, right? So the word cover refers to the actual act of what is happening. These sins are being paid for. An equivalent payment is being made. The person is being cleansed from their sin. But Atone refers to the result of what has happened. That person is now in a restored relationship with the offended person. I was talking about this with a friend, and here's an illustration that we thought of, just kind of a goofy illustration. But let's say that you stole something from a store, okay? And the store owner caught you and said, you're never allowed to come back here again. But a friend comes along and they cover the cost of the item. And so then you are allowed to come back to that store. So kafar, this Hebrew word for cover, is the friend covering the cost, right? They're making that equivalent payment for you. But atonement is the store owner saying, okay, you can come back. You're back in restored relationship with that store. So kafar is the act, the act that lets you back in and atone is the result of that act. It's being made one again or being restored relationship. So in English, obviously, we've chosen to use the concept of restoration and reconciliation, and that's why we're using the word atonement. So I asked a few friends who speak other languages what their words are, and interestingly, pretty much all of them have meanings that are more about reconciliation or restored relationship. So in Flemish and Dutch, the word is verzoning, and the word would mean something akin to reconciliation, improving relationships, or an end to enmity. In French, it's the word expiation, which of course sounds like expiation in English, and it has that same meaning, appeasing a deity. And of course, that is the, the idea of reconciling that relationship with a deity. Someone else responded in Khmer, which is an East Asian language, and the words are ton or luon, and I don't know if I'm saying those exactly right because it is a tonal language, but anyway, those words also mean to forgive or to redeem. So 
again, focusing on restored relationship. So you can see even from this very small peek at other languages that most people to choose to translate this concept more as the result of the act than the act itself. And, you know, I haven't talked to these translators, obviously, in these different Bibles in different languages, but I would guess that their reasoning has to do with that understanding of the word that's demonstrated through the Septuagint. So the language that I work with in West Africa originally chose actually to go with the meaning of cover, and that is the word kekump kachia, which means to cover sin. But after some time, after using this word for a while, we realized that people were interpreting it like a cover-up, like sweeping it under the rug or hiding it. And actually, it's a common thing in that community when there is some kind of offense or wrong that would bring shame to the community, it's covered up. It's sort of ignored, erased from public knowledge. People don't talk about it. And so that's how they were starting to see what God does to our sin. And they weren't seeing that idea that God actually removes our sin so that we can be in relationship. They were seeing it as God covering it up or pretending that it wasn't there. And that's not what we want. So we've been looking through, like, how do we express this meaning of restored relationship? And it's really been a challenge to find a word that adequately conveys that meaning of restored relationship in this language. We have looked at a word that means to cleanse. A word that means to re-consecrate, so you're consecrated and then you're consecrated again after something happens, to remove sin, to filter out sin. And so what's interesting and what you'll notice is that all the words that we've been looking at have more to do with the action than the result of the action. Um, so that's kind of been our focus, but even doing this podcast, I've thought, you know, maybe we need to start looking at a word that's more of the result. In a word like reconcile or restore. So what do you think? <laughs> what would be your choice in this situation or if you were doing a translation? Well, so that is a look at the word atonement. I hope you found it as interesting as I did to figure out the original meaning in Hebrew and then the path of that meaning of co to cover to the English word atone. And both the path of meaning from the action of equal payment to the result of restored relationship and that sort of linguistic path from Hebrew, kafar, to Greek, exkalaskomai, to English, atone. So atonement is just such an important doctrine. And I think it's really important for us to know where it came from and to understand how these translations happen in the Bible that we have. So that's all I have for you today. And I hope that you enjoyed it, and I hope that you will join us again next time for Building a Bridge to God's Word. 